You might uh, like to keep your Bible open at that passage as we go through it later. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to look at this word written by John, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open it to us this morning, that you would encourage us and give us joy in our hearts as we can see how we can be members of your kingdom. Amen. Well, uh, as it's already been said, we're in this series on John's Gospel, and uh, we're looking at the theme of good news. Now, can I suggest to you that if you looked at the news over the last week, you probably would come to the conclusion there isn't a lot of good news out there. Not a lot of good news. And uh, many people, if you ask them, would state that. Well, last week, Alex brought us the message from John chapter 2 that there is good news, in fact. And the good news is that Jesus is the Lord of a new creation and that Jesus is Lord over death. Lord over death because he was resurrected, he rose again. And if you weren't with us last week, can I recommend to you that you download the the message from Alex off our website and listen to that, because it was an encouraging message. Well, this morning, we're going to carry on with this in John chapter 3. We're going to expand upon this message of good news as Jesus explains to the watching crowds how they can become members of God's kingdom. So my title for this morning is Being a Member of God's Kingdom. Now what's it mean to be a member of a kingdom? Well, we've heard quite a lot recently, haven't we, about being members of the United Kingdom. And even, dare I say, members of the European Union. Well, to be a member, of course, implies being a resident of a particular area conforming to the rules and norms of that kingdom, being subjected to the ruler of that kingdom. And it's important, isn't it, that we know what membership means because it affects our lives, whether we be members of the United Kingdom or of the European Union. Well, the reason that John writes his gospel and this passage that we have read this morning is that so that we can believe that Jesus is the Christ and to explain how we can have life with him in God's kingdom. Remind you something that Alex quoted to us last, uh, last week. John chapter 20, verse 30. John writes... Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the good news. And that's the good news that we can be members of God's kingdom. Now, as we look at this passage this morning, we see there are two people involved in this account. There was the man, Nicodemus, and there was Jesus. Now, we're not told, really, an awful lot about Nicodemus. 
We're not told a lot about him. We don't know, for instance, whether he was grumpy in the morning or whether he was a very happy man or whether he was a man who was very uh, funny. We don't know those sorts of details about him. But we are told that he was clever, he was a well-educated man, he was a teacher, he was a religious leader, he held an important position in the ruling council of the Jewish nation. It is likely that he was rich, he held a high position within their society, and he was a man who came at night to ask questions of Jesus. Now, we've got to remember, of course, that nighttime in their day, was, what that really meant was real darkness. No electric lights for them. He was Orthodox Jewish ruler, and he would have been looking and expecting the fulfillment of the prophecies made within their sacred texts. So we read, for instance, in Isaiah 7 and chapter 61 and Micah 5, concerning the prophecies coming of a coming Messiah figure. And this is who Nicodemus would have been looking forward to. A, a Messiah figure who would have been a military man, a religious man, a man that would have overthrown the Roman military occupational forces, a man who would have established and run the free state of Israel, a kingdom of the Jews. Now, what do we know about Nicodemus? Well, we know that he came at night, but we also know that he'd seen the actions of Jesus, he'd heard him speak. And he recognizes that a man who is able to heal people, a man who is capable of performing miracles, that is, things that are outside the, nation, the normal reality, must have had some reaction and interaction with God. We see this in verse 2. Look what verse 2. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now we read here by Nicodemus, this is a statement, isn't it? It's not a straight question, but it's a statement that implies a question. What Nicodemus is really saying is, Jesus, why are you doing these things? He's asking a why question. Why are you doing these things? He seems to be a genuine seeker of the truth, but he might just have been sarcastic. Well, we read that he comes at night. We don't know why he comes at night. Maybe he'd been too busy during the day. Maybe because he thought his reputation would be at risk if he was seen to be talking with Jesus, a man who had become the enemy of the ruling Jewish religious leaders. But we do need to remember that Nicodemus had an impressive credentials. He was a man who served God. But secondly, the second person that we see in our passage this morning, the man, teacher, the man Jesus, who had been teaching and performing miracles where Nicodemus lived. Now, I think one of the interesting points of this passage is that Jesus doesn't seem to make any comment about Nicodemus' statement here concerning who he is. But rather, he goes straight to the point concerning the expectation of the Jews concerning a Messiah and a human kingdom. 
Jesus recognizes that there are kingdom issues at stake, but not the kingdom of the Jews as a physical and political entity. No, Jesus goes straight to the, to the fact that this is uh, an important kingdom. It's a kingdom of God, and it's a spiritual as well as a physical entity. We see this in verse 5, where Jesus says, you can't enter this kingdom unless you're born of water and of the Spirit. It's a supernatural event, and the kingdom is a spiritual entity. Now, as we look at this passage, I believe that Jesus gives us three aspects concerning this kingdom. Three aspects concerning this kingdom. Firstly, how can anyone become part of this kingdom? We will need to know, don't we? How can we become a part of God's kingdom? Secondly, he addressed the issue, why would God want to establish this kingdom? And then thirdly, what are the results of Sorry, this is going mad this morning. What are the results of the establishment of this kingdom? So let's look at each of these questions in turn then. So the first one then is how can anyone become part of this kingdom of God? Remember, to become a member of the Jewish community or kingdom, as was expected by those religious leaders, you would have had to have been a descendant of Abraham. In other words, to be a member of the Jewish community, that was by inheritance. It was a racial thing. Well, in contrast to this, Jesus states in verse 3, a person must be born again to enter this kingdom. Now, what does that phrase actually mean, to be born again? Well, surely it means to have a completely new start to their lives. He goes on to say in verses 5 and 6, yes, you must be born of the water as well as the spirit. Now, some of the commentators have said, what's he actually mean by being born of the water? Well, this points towards baptism. Others have said Jesus means that the waters are associated with the birth when a woman's waters break before the actual birth of her child. So it's a natural birth. Others say the expression by water and spirit are both terms of supernatural birth. It's a spiritual change within hearts, minds and souls. Now it's interesting to note that the Old Testament prophetic predictions also refer to the spirit as well as the work of water, Ezekiel 36 and Isaiah 44. So then how can we understand verse 5, that both water and spirit are involved? Well, surely we can understand it by saying it's a supernatural work of God, causing someone who believes in Jesus to be born again. Jesus goes on to expand upon this point in verse 8, when he uses the imagery of the wind, which we don't see as such. But we do see, of such, of course, the results of the wind. And so he says, it's the same with the Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. We can't see it physically, but we can see the results of the work of the Holy Spirit in human lives when there's belief in Jesus and acceptance of his Lordship. 
Now, the critical point here, of course, is that word belief. The critical point in becoming a member of God's kingdom is belief. Look at verse 15, which says this, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now this, of course, begs the question, what is belief? Well, the English dictionary says this, belief is an acceptance that something exists or is true, especially one without proof. We put our trust in something if we believe it. Now, one of the revolutionary aspects of this teaching by Jesus for those Jewish people standing there in that crowd that day was that being a member of God's kingdom wasn't just to be restricted to them, that the people of God had promised to make his own. No, what Jesus is stating here is open to all people, all races, And there's no mention here of keeping the strict Ten Commandments as a way of entering the kingdom. There's nothing here about keeping strict religious activities. No, it's all about belief. Belief and change, being born of the water and of the Spirit. And so we can take from this passage this morning that we can come into this kingdom if we believe and have faith that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. But the second question that comes from this passage, why would God want to establish this kingdom here on earth? Well, the answer is given to us in that famous verse that Jonathan referred to, verse 16. Jesus had previously said that he can give them answers for very difficult questions because he's been with his father. Look in verse 13. He was the only one who's been with the father in heaven and so he can answer these questions. And so he can tell them why would God want to do this? Look again at verse 16. For God so loved the world which includes people so much that he was prepared to send his son Jesus to earth to teach and to show them that God loved them so much. And so we see here that Jesus says, God wants to establish his kingdom here on earth because of love. And note also, it's not just for the Jewish people. It says God so loved the world, it's inclusive. It's for everybody. It's for everybody for whatever, despite whatever they have done in their lives. That's the message of hope, the good news this morning. But also note in verse 17 that God says, that Jesus says that God didn't want to judge and condemn people, but rather to provide a way for them to come back into the reality of his kingdom. What's he meaning here? Well, surely what he's meaning here is that he wants to re-establish that link with people, like he had with Adam and Eve in the beginning. If you remember that account in Genesis, where Adam and Eve walked with God and spoke with God before the times of their sin and their disobedience to him. 
And we see here that Jesus is saying, this is what God wants for his people today. Now, how do we get to that point? Well, we go to this uh, somewhat strange uh, reference uh, that's given in verse 14. Look what it says in verse 14. Jesus states, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, if you remember the account that uh, is found in Numbers, the uh, children of Israel had been taken out of, the, uh, of Egypt and they were crossing the desert and uh, they began to sin against God. And so what did God do for them? He sent them snakes which bit them and caused them to die. Moses then entreated God and God said, okay, make an image of a snake, put it on a stake, on a pole, and whoever looks and believes on that snake will be healed. And it came about as so. And the reference, so this is the reference to that, and it points us towards the Son of Man that's going to be lifted up on the cross. So that's why God establishes his kingdom because he loves people, he loves us so much, and he doesn't want anybody to not be in his kingdom. But the third question, what are the results of the establishment of this kingdom here on earth? Well, Jesus teaches us that there are two groups of people emerging from this situation of this kingdom being established on earth. Two groups of people. Firstly, we see in verse 16 that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. That is, this group of people who believe in Jesus as God's Son and are reborn through the work of the Holy Spirit, they will not perish. They will receive eternal life. Now again, of course, this begs the question, what does eternal life mean? Well, it means, of course, having life in its fullness now, but also forever, being with God in his presence, what the Bible terms or calls heaven. And this is expanded on in verse 18 by saying that these believers won't be condemned for their lives' actions. They will become people of the light. Look at verse 21 which says, whoever lives by the truth, that is, belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus, will come into the light, so that their actions and lives will witness to the truth of God's gift of Jesus and his death on the cross. Now, as I was reading that, I thought, this is the challenge, isn't it, for us who believes in Jesus and follow him. Do our lives show the light of the love of God, who was prepared to give his son to the death on the cross. Remember Jesus' words, those that live in the light of God, those that are his disciples, will be like lamps set upon a hill, radiating light out into the darkness, attracting others to Jesus. This is what we're called to do by Jesus if we're members of this first group. But what about the second group? Look at verse 18. The second group clearly says that, they, that it, this is those that won't believe and accept the need for being reborn. 
So it says in verse 18, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. By not believing, they've already selected themselves into this group. But we may well ask ourselves, well, why would they not believe? Well, Jesus gives us the answer in verse 19, where he says, Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds are exposed. The love of themselves, the love of their own ability to run their own lives, pride, envy, keeps them from believing and asking Jesus to forgive their sins. And the result of this is that this group of people will not spend eternity with God in a place where there is no light and no love, what the Bible calls hell. So then, let's go back to that original purpose of the writer John. Remember what we read at the beginning. The reason that John wrote his gospel in this passage is so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ and to explain how we can have life with him and his kingdom. So the question for us then this morning and the question for our friends and neighbours is, which group do we fall into? It's pretty stark, isn't it? There's no, you know, there's no grey area there at all. Which group do we fall into? Those that accept Jesus as God's Son who died to take the punishment for our wrong actions, our sin? Or are we members of the group that don't believe in Jesus and accept his death on the cross as punishment for our wrongdoing? Well, Jesus states that the results of this will be dramatic. Eternal life with him or eternal life without him. If we fall into the first group, those who are members of God's kingdom through belief in him and his death on the cross, this is the message that we can bring to the world in which we live. And it's the great news, it's the good news that we have got to declare the good news that we can share with our friends, our colleagues, and the society in which we live. And of course, this is the work of the church, bringing the good news to the world. However, if you're not sure of which group you come into, if you would like more information concerning how you can become a member of God's kingdom through faith in Jesus, then do ask us, ask Jonathan or myself at the end of the service. There will also be New Testaments and books at the back that will help. And there are opportunities this morning for prayer as well. Remember, God so loved us all so much that he sent his son to die for each one of us. All we have to do is to confess our sin, ask him to forgive us, and believe that Jesus is God's son. What a great message of good news for us this morning. Can't we go out rejoicing this morning that we we can be members of God's kingdom? We don't have to come like Nicodemus did in the dark. We can come to God in the light of the reality of Jesus. Amen.